Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to University of Adversity. I'm your host, Lance Isios. You guys, as you know, we dive into all things personal development on this show, right? I'm obsessed at learning. I love being curious and finding out about people. And as you know, we talk about all kinds of different things. There's certain aspects of healing that just fascinate me, how we're able to get into the subconscious mind, change some things around, and to help people move through things that they're struggling with. And one of those things that I've been always fascinated with is hypnotherapy. What is hypnotherapy? We dive into that today. What is hypnotherapy? How it works when it comes to trauma, addiction, what happens when we're in hypnosis, all of it. I asked as many questions as I could to really pull out the gold for you so that you can walk away with some tools or at least at the, at the very least, a little bit more educated on the topic. We brought in one of the leading experts in Australia, Dr. Karen Phillip, that was highly recommended to come on the show. And I can't wait to share this with you guys. We, we unpack it all. So make sure you listen to this right to the end. It was a great episode. And uh, I really, really enjoyed talking with Dr. Karen. She's awesome. Also, you guys, if you feel like you want to support the show here, it's always greatly appreciated as costs go up and the mission continues we really have, are looking for your support for the show. So if you want to do so, purchase a copy of Mastering Adversity, my new book. It really helps. And it's everything we talk about, right? Everything we talked about the last four years, my own journey into this book that is really like the alchemized version of everything that I've gone through that you can have and read. And I've gotten great feedback for it. And it just feels so good to be able to share that with you guys. So people ask me all the time, how can we support the show? That's the best way to do so. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Barnes and Noble. And uh, yeah. Also, we have a free giveaway, free warrior quiz. Now, this has to do with the archetypes that I talk about in the book, the adversity archetypes. And I created this quiz so that you can create a little bit more self-awareness in your life in the face of adversity. There's the four archetypes, the victim, the distractor, the fixer, and the warrior. And this quiz is help to help you shine a blind spot on maybe you haven't seen and bring it into the light and help you create more awareness when a challenging situation arises. The link to do that is down below and uh, it's a lot of fun, so. Anyways, guys, without further ado, oh yeah, also, if you aren't subscribed to the podcast, I'm sure you're tired of hearing me say this, but subscribe wherever you're listening. We're also available on YouTube. It's greatly appreciated and uh, always happy to hear your feedback. And if you enjoyed an episode, all of this stuff. All right. Enjoy this episode. Dr. Karen Phillip coming right up. Dr. Karen, welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you so much for coming on. My absolute pleasure, Lance. Thank you so much. Yeah. So as I was mentioning, you know, before we hit the record button, I'm fascinated with the healing journey. 
I'm fascinated with the subconscious mind. And the more that I have gone on the journey myself and spoken to such amazing inspirational people and experts like your, like yourself, I've been able to learn so much and I've been able to just, I've realized the importance of healing and just how many people need help now more than ever. And oh, yes. yeah, so where, where I would love to start is there's so much to unpack with what you do in hypnotherapy and all these things. I would love to just kind of tee it up kind of like how you got into this in the first place. Like what, what attracted you to this, you know, to get into psychotherapy, hypnotherapy, all of this in the first place? Like what, what led you to that? Well, about 25 years ago, I left a rather abusive relationship and I was in that relationship 18 years, had three amazing children. And I started attending counseling to help myself recover and rebuild from that years of, of, let's say, challenges. And so I went to counseling and that really helped. And then I did a lot of work myself to, to rebuild me, to find out who I was. I was very controlled. I wasn't allowed to study. I enrolled in a few courses. I had to stop each and every one of them. I was permitted to work under certain circumstances, associate with only a certain group of people that he approved and so on and so forth. So after I'd left that relationship, I thought I can do anything. So after I received counseling help that was just so wonderful, I decided to train to become a counseling therapist, psychotherapist. So I did my training and loved it, started working, set up my own private practice. And I found after a number of years that I believed that people had more of a, a self-capacity to heal rather than just through counseling. And people weren't moving as fast as I believed they really could. So I looked around to think, what else could I do? I did different modalities, EMDR, EFT, a whole range of things. And then I came across a colleague who was doing hypnotherapy. And I spoke with him at length and then I started going to various courses and realized, my goodness, hypnotherapy is just so powerful. We can get straight to the source, usually things that happen in our early life and childhood. And from there, we can, we can heal our own mind because hypnotherapy, it's a natural process. And, and I'm very much into natural therapies. I, I'm not into taking drugs and things to mask the symptoms. I really believe that we humans have that capacity to heal ourselves once we know how. So I did the hypnotherapy training and started using it within my, my counseling rooms. And the changes that I witnessed in people before my eyes, some had come in for, you know, months or even often on over a few years. And then I started introducing the hypnosis techniques, the NLP techniques, and I saw a change in them. I heard the change in them. I watched the body language change, their facial expressions change. And the, the information they were giving back to me on how their life had done a complete 360 in one or two sessions, I thought, my goodness, this is amazing. So because I was very, very busy and very booked out for weeks and weeks advanced, my husband, my new husband suggested that I start recording some of these sessions and sell them online for people that couldn't get to a professional therapist, particularly regional people. And in Australia, it's a big place. 
and we have a lot of space between towns. So we started doing that and virtual hypnotherapy was born, the, the website, and we've been selling sessions, professional sessions now online for years and we get emails from people saying that, you know, I've gone to, to psychology for years, I've tried counselling for years, I did your session and my goodness, the issue that I thought I had has been rectified and the best part is their mind did it because what happens is when we experience something, our mind attaches an emotion to that experience, good or bad. And if it's a bad emotional attachment, we, we seem to feel that we're stuck with it, but we're not because if we can attach a thought, a feeling, an emotion to that experience, we can unattach it and reattach something completely different, something that can help us, something that we can use to learn from that experience. And that's what hypnosis does. So fascinating. And I love that how if you have the ability to, you know, have that emotion installed into, in, you know, like almost like a trauma, then you have the ability to, to take it out also. I feel like a lot of people don't feel they have the power within themselves. And it's so sad because we are such powerful creatures. And, and I feel like, especially nowadays, so many people don't believe that they are capable to be able to do things like you, you, you said, to be able to heal themselves. And I, I really believe giving somebody a tool that empowers them to heal themselves is the most important thing right now that anybody could possibly have, especially after this craziness that's gone on. Oh, beautifully said, Lance. Really, you, you are so right. It's, I say to people, I, I teach the ham. You know what you want. So I help you know how to achieve it. And we do, our minds are incredibly powerful. I work a lot now with victims services. So people that are escaping domestic violence, a lot of, a lot of veterans, and even now it's extending to our police, our ambulance, our paramedics that are on the front line and, you know, have been traumatized by many experienced events, not only in the workplace, but also from their childhood. And so many of us have grown up being told we're we're useless or worthless. We haven't been, been raised with the love, the security that a child deserves. And we take that into our adolescence and we, we get angry with the world. This is not fair. This is not right. What, what's wrong with me? And then we may take that into our adulthood and we may not be treated as well at work or, or in a relationship as we, we want to be and should be. We don't know how to find balance in a good relationship and and that's what I discovered I work with a lot of people men and women but many women and I say to them when they've come out of difficult relationships or traumatic relationships what criteria have you set yourself for a partner and they look at you oh the standard thing is I I want to be happy right that's great but what does that mean well are they walking her so I work with a lot of people, both men and women, on actually setting their criteria. These are the things that you not only want, need from a person, someone to listen and understand you, someone to accept the person who you are, what you want, someone to embrace everything about you, someone to, to respect you, someone to show kindness to you 
or at all times, at all times, not when it suits them or they feel like it. Someone that has your back. So we set the criteria and they, we read it back and they say, oh my God, I have never had anybody in my life like this. It's like, okay, so therefore this is the reason that you're attracting the type of people that you have been for all these years. So we change that around. I don't know if it's universal, law, universal energy, but when we put something out so positive, we seem to attract that positive back to us. And that's what's wonderful to see. Yeah, it's beautiful. So when somebody comes to you for help, how do you know whether, well, let me rephrase this. Sometimes, the, like, like you know, the trauma that they've gone through, they might not even know that that's the thing that's causing it because they don't remember it or, right? Precisely. They come to you for one thing and then it ends up being something else. Like, how do you, what's the process for, I need help with this. I need this, but then it's actually, no, it's actually deeper than that. Like, how do you, how do you figure that out? I find that so fascinating. When, when people come in, a lot of people come in for hypnotherapy because they have anxiety, they have a weight issue, they want to stop smoking, stop biting their nails, these sorts of issues. And we, we have a saying in the industry, the issue is never the issue. Mm. And when they come in, we, we talk about the issue because that's what they're there for. And we listen. And being trained in hypnotherapy and NLP, neurolinguistic programming, we listen for cues. We, we watch their body language as well, but it's the cues that we listen to. And we find that a lot of these cues are repetitive with a variety of people in regards to a very issue. And as you, as you mentioned, many of these things start when we are children. And I, I just have a saying, oh, parents are responsible for everything. And funnily enough, we are, and I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent as well. And I look back at things that, and I thought I was a pretty good mom. You know, I loved my kids and I supported my kids, did everything. But when I look back at, oh, I could have done that better. Oh, could have done that different. Oh, we all the same. You know, parent guilt is, is quite amazing. But when we hear, when we listen to them, really listen and ask certain questions, then the individual that comes in is like, oh, actually, I didn't think of that or I never thought of it from that perspective. And we have a couple of, I, I do a few different standard things with people when they come in for hypnosis for those particular type of issues that I mentioned. And I take them back in a bit of what we refer to as like timeline therapy. Let's go back to the first time you actually notice this feeling to be an issue or a problem. And then as we relax them down, we go back and we go back further and we go back further and we go back to the first time and then any time before that. And people that may come in and say, oh, yes, I know when this started, I was about 32 or I know when this started, I was about 11 or whatever. But people go back. I had one gentleman in recently who said, oh, yeah, I know when it happened. I was nine years old and mum and dad divorced and it was really nasty and so on and so forth. And when I went back, he was actually baby. He was about three months old. He felt himself held by his mum, but with a complete disconnection from his mother. And he started to, to get very emotional, very distressed, and he kept going. But the issue actually started as a very young baby when that baby felt a disconnect with his mother that continued his entire life, which affected many of his relationships 
and of course many behaviours. He came in for drinking excessively and gambling and, and that sort of thing. And when you're able to go back and start the healing process, we we usually take the adult self back to the child self and we do the healing in that way. They reopen their eyes after half an hour or so and it's like, wow, what just happened? I can't believe it. And when you ask them how they now feel about that particular issue or incident, they sit there with this blank look usually and it's like, it's gone. Oh, I feel it. Is it going to come? I go, no, your mind has done the healing because your mind attached all of that and it continued to attach it. So what we do in the, in the timeline is we unattach from that initial age all the way through to back to today. And it's so fast. It's so permanent. Whereas most of the people come in after they've been to usually psychologists sometimes years and years. And they just feel that they're the problem, they're the issue, they can't deal. They have the, the mental issue because they're not able to resolve it, to rectify it or to eliminate it. And it isn't that at all. As, as we said before, it's just a matter how. So that's, that's one of the best parts of the job. Sometimes people come in, they're smoking. Yep, sure, they, they don't feel that. They can control the cigarette. The cigarette controls them. That's that's usually quite an easy session. It, it takes you an hour, hour and a half. They walk in and smoke for 40, 40 a day. They walk out. They never smoke again. Really? Those, oh, gosh, yes. That's that's okay. great. So okay, what, great. Is, what is actually happening when that, like, what is, can you, can you break down what is actually happening from addiction to not, like, how does that, what does that look like? Like, if you can explain well, it for somebody. Addiction means, the definition is you must do more of it more often. So we look at meth, we look at ice, we look at heroin. And of course, they're addictive drugs, the same as opioids, addictive drugs. But we look at cigarettes, for instance. No, oh, I've been smoking about 30, 40 a day of these, you know, four milligram, eight milligram cigarettes for the last 30 years. Well, that's not the definition of addiction. So we allow them to understand that they're not actually addicted to a cigarette. There's nothing addictive about a cigarette. It is a choice. It's behavioral, habitual choice. But thank you to, and I don't know about over in the United States and Canada, but in Australia, we have a lot of quick lines and we're not allowed to advertise cigarettes in any way, in any sort of media. But even our, our quick lines over here, the first thing that's said, and I raise people's attention to it, it's like, it's hard to quit. That's the very first message that comes out. And our adverts that are put on have usually a three-step approach. One, it's hard to quit. And then it shows you pictures of a person struggling to quit and they fail the first time. And they may even fail the second time. But the third time, let's see how we go. We're feeling better. And all it's doing is it's, it's embedding the fact that it's hard you can't do it. You're probably going to fail multiple times. It's, it's ridiculous. And the cigarette companies, I believe, fund some of these adverts because they, they seek to. But it's not true. When people come in and say, oh, I had a friend or you did a session with them and, and they said it just, they stopped immediately. Can you do it with me? And I interview my people. I won't just say, yeah, sure, come on in. 
People need to legitimately have had enough. Once they say, I am done with this, I hate smoking. It's, it's costly. It's, it's hurting my health. It's, my kids won't even come near me. They say I smell. I'm socially isolated. When they get to that stage, it's like, now you're ready. Now you're actually ready to stop. But a lot of them tried the patches, the pills, all those sorts of things, but they're not fully ready to stop a lot of them. The patches and pills and all of those things, they're not designed to have you stop. They're not. They're designed to make you feel that you can't. So they sell more of them. It's very clever. Very clever marketing. But people will come in with that legitimate need. And the first thing is you're able to allow, and I do a psychotherapy session first. That's, that's what I've recorded on virtual hypnotherapy, the psychotherapy session, which is an empowerment. It's, it empowers a person. It allows a person to understand that the cigarette doesn't control me. I don't have to do this, but how do I, how do I break that feeling that I have that controls me? So we go through the psychotherapy and 99% of the time, the person's an on smoke before they even close their eyes. But we do the hypnotherapy to embed all the suggestions and I also, when they open their eyes, I get them just to, just to sit there. We have a chat for a minute and I go, oh God, yeah, the thought of it is awful. And I have them close their eyes and I put some, some broken, unsmoked cigarettes under their nose. It's in a container and I get them to just take a sniff for me and they sniff, open their eyes and look, oh my God, that's disgusting. Oh my God, get it away from me. And, And it's like, good, good, you're done. And they, even the thought having a cigarette is like oh my god that's so disgusting so how does what is actually so what are they are they like being repulsed by it in the hypnotherapy like where it's like are they visualizing like how do they what is that switch there's there's a few different switches the first one is usually explaining and showing them the cigarette right this is this is the thing that you feel that you're addicted to that's controlling you. So I go through a few steps to show them what an actual cigarette is, how powerless it is, how it can't make you do anything at all. And uh, and I usually break it up and show them. And and then from there, we we discuss the reasons that they smoke, when they smoke. And 99% of the time, it's when they feel stressed. They, they, I, I reach for a cigarette to calm me down. And I just ask a question like, oh, so what is it about sucking smoke into your mouth, down your throat and lungs that's relaxing for you? Oh, that's like nothing because our fireys would be the most chill people on the planet if that was the case. But in fact, no, no, it's nothing about the, the smoke. It's about the breathing. Human beings these days, we don't breathe the way we, our body is designed. We don't. Yet when someone is, is you know, very anxious or traumatized. And we see it in the, the TV shows and the ER TV shows. What's well, the first thing they do to men and women when they come in and they're all, they're, they're all affected and traumatized and stressed and anxious. We tell them to slow down. We tell them to breathe, take some deep breaths. Why do we do that? Because the breathing calms us. It calms our mind and body. So a smoker connects when I take, a, when I have a smoke, when I take that inhale, the smoking is helping me calm, but it's nothing about the smoke. It's about the breathing. So I do a lot of breathing exercises with my clients as well. I will have them think of a very stressful situation 
and then I'll have them close their eyes and take three very, very deep, slow breaths. And I rate it on a scale of one to 10, you know, this is happening at work or this is happening at home on a scale of one to 10, how, how high is the stress? Oh, it could be nine, eight, 10, 11. And we do the breathing and I say, now, where is it now? Oh, three. Oh, great. You've done that. You've done that in about 30 seconds just with some deep breathing. So you've achieved that. No cigarette has helped you. No smoke in your lungs has helped you. You've done that. And it's like, oh, wow. So then we want that to sustain. We want to embed the suggestions so that is their go-to. So they understand they, in fact, have the power and the control. A cigarette does not control them. So that's what the hypnosis comes in and is about. So interesting as well, like with anxiety, you know, because for me, that is something that has been part of my life for a long time, even, you know, specifically not so much anymore. I've learned to deal with it a lot better, but things like going on airplanes, I know a lot of people have this weird feeling and it's so interesting about anxiety because so many people have it. Everybody's so anxious. What, like how, can you walk us through a little bit of what you see with anxiety and like how that's created and how, how people can move through that? Because I feel like it's such a, such a common thing these days. Everybody's scared of everything. It, It really is. And that's exactly that word that you just said is perfect. I usually say to my clients, they talk about their anxiety. I have anxiety. I go, okay. And I sort of, go, okay, we're going to remove the anxiety. And I sort of put my hand forward them and pull it out, throw it away up to the universe. So the word anxiety no longer exists on planet Earth. What is it that you're feeling? And fear is the most common phrase that people say. I'm scared. I feel fear. And it's almost like we're not allowed to feel that anymore. But of mm-hmm. course we feel fear. We, we have fear. We need to have fear with, with certain things. You know, we walk close to the edge of a, of a, a cliff rock. We don't want to fall over. So right. we, we're fearful. And we've developed a fear from sometimes from flying because of things that we see, air crashing investigator shows on TV and things like that. But the thing with, with people that suffer severe anxiety is that they don't, they've lost the capacity to understand one that, a bit of anxiety is okay. It's almost like the unconscious mind saying, just, just be mindful of this. Just be careful of this. Just take preventative steps about this. That's all right. But we've lost the capacity to know how to manage our own fear. So, and unfortunately, and look, doctors do an amazing job for sure, but they're giving out these prescriptions for beta blockers and, and anxiety tablets far too quickly. Yeah. And people are not getting the assistance. So what's happening is they're treating the symptom. They're not treating the cause. As soon as we treat the cause, we knock over the symptom. It no longer exists. Hmm. So, of course, being in the, the therapy business, it's like, let's deal with the cause. Certainly take some medication if you need to for a while until we deal with the, with the reason that you're feeling like this. And that often is stemmed from something, again, in childhood and experience we've had. When you mentioned the, the flights, the planes, in, in the virtual therapy, we've got a session on phobias, removing phobias. But I've also put a separate one on the fear of flying because that is a little bit different in many cases. 
And now the world is open. It's like we don't need to feel this fear. So we go through a session with them and they go from being so scared. I've had people not even not even going on their honeymoon because they can't get on a plane. Yeah. They want to go to the Caribbean. They want to go to the Maldives. They want to go to Fiji. They can't. So their Fiji holiday or their, their Maldives honeymoon can't occur. So we do the session and usually we come to hypnosis for the last the last point of call when everything else has failed. And then they send me a postcard from their destination, say, I got here, I was feeling calm, relaxed and confident. And that's the big thing. They feel confident. And so it's a lack of confidence in self that the anxiety starts from. We just don't feel that we can but we all can do anything that we want to do. So why do some people feel anxious and other people don't? Well, we all actually feel anxious. Every single human being on the planet. And that starts from being a child. The first time you go to ride your, your bike without your training wheels on, oh, you are going to feel anxious. There's no doubt about it. You may fall off. You may skin your elbow. But get back up with mum and dad's help and you know it. You go and you ride that bike. First day of school, you may feel anxious, but you get the support and get the, the help with the teachers and your parents and you get through that. So anxiety is a normal part of anything we do. First time we drive a car, the right. first time we want to ride a motorbike, anything at all, we are going to fear anxiety, have anxiety. But it's what we do with our anxiety. That's the difference. Yeah, because... It's almost, it, well, I mean, it's a fine line between excitement. If you're doing something that you've never done or you're, you know, going and do, of course you should, it's almost strange to not feel some level of, of that. I'd be concerned yeah. if somebody didn't feel anything like that ever, it would almost be like, what? Like, yeah. it's almost like a gauge of like, Hey, be careful here a little bit, you know? Exactly. But, or, hey, we're going to something we've never done before. Exciting. I don't have to be scared of it, but I feel like the box, I, I have anxiety and they become this, everything is anxious or I am depressed instead of I'm feeling depressed. It's like yes. they label themselves as that. And oh. I, I've seen that happen a lot. Do you see that where people, they almost create this character that oh, is yes. this box yes. and it's like everything sure. becomes that. Oh my goodness. Beautifully said. I have depression. I have anxiety. And I, I say to them, okay, okay, well, we unpack that a little. And I say, so well, tell me, have you ever had the flu? They look at you and well, yes. Okay, so tell me, do you have the flu? Were you stuffed up and snuffly when you're asleep? Oh, yeah. And and when you go out to dinner and you've got the flu, you know, you're feeling all clogged up and, and you've you really go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, what about when you're watching a funny movie and you go to laugh and you can't breathe through your nose because you've got the flu? You've got it. But when you talk about anxiety, do you have anxiety when you're asleep? Oh, well, no, not usually. Great. Do you have anxiety when you're watching a funny movie with your family or your loved ones or your little kids? You're taking them to a, the latest funny movie that's out. Oh, no, no, I don't have anxiety then. What about when you're having a, a family dinner? Now, that depends on the family, of course. Or you're having dinner with friends. They go, no, 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 I don't feel anxious then. That's right, you don't. Because you don't have anxiety. 
you feel anxious at times due to certain conditions, but you're not anxiety. You don't have anxiety. You have the flu, but you don't have anxiety. You feel it at times. So let's talk about the times that you feel anxious and see if we can't help you, empower you, enable you to feel differently because anxiety is a feeling. And a lot of people say, but I think about this and I, and, and I think about that and I go, right, well, a thought is a thought is a thought. A thought cannot make us do anything until we consciously make a decision to act upon that thought. So a thought can come and we can allow a thought to go. Or we can have a thought and we can grab hold of it, dissect it, put it inside us, feel it, act on it, keep it. It really comes down to us. Now, of course, there's also many other issues that, for instance, playing dental, dental phobia is a big one. And that's often because I've been taken to the dentist or needle phobia. Oh, and when COVID was happening, that was huge. I was taking, taken to a, a doctor or a dentist and they said, this wouldn't hurt. This is not going to hurt. They lied. It hurt. It hurt. I go, yes, it, it did for, for a few seconds. That's right. So we take them through the, what we refer to as like a phobia cure. And uh, we use the unconscious mind to, to set it up for them. We never have them relive the phobia ever. We zip past it very quickly, in backwards usually, and their mind simply reassesses the level of fear they have consciously popped on it at the age of maybe four, maybe six, maybe eight. And what happens is when we think of an issue that occurred when we were a child, we go immediately back to that emotional age. So something happened when I was six years old and I had a needle and they said it wasn't going to hurt. And it really hurt. And as a six-year-old, oh my God, needle, it really hurt. I thought I was going to die. We go straight back to that emotional six-year-old age. And we, we know as an adult, well, it's crazy. It's just a little freak. I know that consciously. I know that. But there's something in me that I'm just too scared. That's because we're six years old when we think of that event again. And it's very hard to convince a six-year-old of something. So we, we take that and we change it during hypnotherapy. We, we adjust it. We allow the mind to understand that, no, you're, you're no longer. That happened when you were six because you didn't understand. Someone told you something that wasn't perhaps accurate or you, you were frightened on an aeroplane when it got really bumpy and mummy or daddy is saying, it's okay, it's fine. And you think, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Not that we really even understand what that is. All we know as a child is that it means end because Nana or Poppy died and I never saw them again. Right. So if I die, I'm not going to see daddy again or mummy again or auntie again or whatever it is. So we, we attach a fear to that event. Yeah, our relationship to death is so interesting too because we're, right. we're afraid. It's like we think it's the end, that's it, and we're scared of it. Yes. Yeah. Well, as a child, we're immortal, but it, yeah. it's, it is. It's as we age, yeah. your feelings of mortality do change. For and sure. that sort of happens in your 20s and 30s. It could be younger when if you lose someone very close to you. Mm -hmm. But it's also, it happens with relationships and even jobs. We, we, when we talk about death, 
we think immediately about losing someone or our fur baby or something that's removed from us. But we have so many people that are experiencing issues with the end of a career they can no longer do or the end of a relationship. And that's a death, the death of a relationship that we embraced and, and loved, the death of a, of a career or a job. We may have had an accident that we can no longer do the same job that we do now. Mm. And that's, that, that's a mourning process. So it's whether or not we lose the person through departure and death or whether we lose something else in our life through relationship breakdown or change of circumstances even within our own body or even our partner or child has, got, has had an accident or, or an illness, then we've had the death of that child that we knew or that partner that we knew. And we also find it happens a lot with parents of transgender children. I get them and I work with a lot of transgender community as well as our, as our gay community because they feel, you know, like the parents come in, but it was my daughter and I was going to walk down the aisle and I was going to be there when she had a baby. And now she's transitioning to a man. I don't know what to do with that. So they've got to experience or what they are experiencing is the death of their daughter, but the reinvention of a son. And so we turn it around that they may have lost a daughter, but they have gained a son. And it is different. It is very different for the parent. And there's often quite a bit of unconscious work to do with all of that. And anything that happens to us in life, and we know that life is complex, we know that life doesn't go forward one step at a time, like we believe it does as a child. There's so many curveballs. And once we learn and believe that we, we've got this, we can do this, this is an annoyance. I usually use the word annoyance considerably. It's not, and I change people's self-talk a lot. Most, most of us are actually quite negative in our self-talk. Yeah. Uh, Will we turn that around and I get them to repeat that a few times louder and louder? They feel different. You know, it's like, okay, I've, I've got this. I can do this because I know I can. I'll start off with, I've got this. I know I can. Okay, say it again, but with a bit of oomph in it. And at the end, it's, I got this. I know I can. And I get them to put little affirmations around their house on sticky notes. And I get them to read them out loud all throughout the day, on their sun visor, in their car, on their steering wheel, on their, on their, their toothbrush holder, on their jug, on the top of the TV. I've got them, some people put them everywhere. So they remind themselves and they say it out loud. I am, I am a good person. I am confident. I am strong. I'm worthy. I've got this. Because so many of us have had that, we feel that it's been stripped away from us by whether it be parent or a partner or whatever it may be, even at the boss at work, you know, telling you that, that you're useless at your job and you can't do it and I wish they'd never employed you. It's just horrible, some of the things that, that people endure. But yeah. we don't need to have it affect us like that. And we can make a conscious choice. That's it. No more. Which is why we leave bad relationships, why we leave the job that we love, but I can't do it surrounded by this negative energy anymore mm. and when we feel that we're strong enough we're able enough and we know how to take those steps that's when we can do it and that's where the unconscious mind comes in fascinating stuff i got a question a personal question about 
doing this work. I've had times where I've done hypnotherapy in the past and I've been hypnotized on stages. Now there's, there's this, I feel like there's like a spectrum of my consciousness of how much I let go at times. There was times where I was fully conscious and I almost felt like I hadn't let go, but I, I didn't want to be like, Hey, I'm still, I'm still awake. But I was kind of in the middle. There was times where I went deeper, but there was times where I wasn't. And for me, I have sometimes trouble letting go depending on, I don't know what the situation is. So I guess my question is for anybody that may be going through the same thing, like they've tried something like this or they've, they've had trouble, you know, letting go and you know, sometimes you hear stories like you're saying people go back to the time when they were young and, you know, I've done that, but I'm conscious and I'm like, this feels kind of weird because like, I don't, I like I'm fully conscious and I don't know what to say. So I, I was curious as to, is the, is it still working if you're in that state where you're still in control or should you be in a state of almost like in between asleep and, and, and awake, like, if you could unpack that, because I know you probably get questions like this a lot. And a lot of people are like, yes. it doesn't work for me or it does or whatever. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Okay. Yes, <laughs> oh, for sure. The first thing is we need to feel safe with what we're doing. If you go in and a bit, and they say something like, okay, we're going to go back to your childhood. Oh, yeah, yeah no, 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 no. Going to go back there. This is in your mind. Whoa, don't go in there again. Uh-uh. Then you won't. You won't allow yourself to. So it's whatever your your subconscious mind permits you to do. But one, you need to have that feeling of, of safety and rapport with the therapist. Okay. Then it's a matter of where you want to go and what you want to do. So we, we use what we call the initial induction process. And a lot of people think, oh, that's when you close your eyes and you get relaxed. Well, it is. However, it's well before that. It's, and I say to, I, I run the Australian Hypnotherapy College. So we teach, we teach people how to be clinical hypnotherapists. And I say to them, the second that that person phones you and asks about the, the issue and if you can help them, what is when the therapy and the induction begins. You have to listen. You have to connect with that person. You have to listen for their words. You have to understand what it is that they want to determine if they're ready. Then when they come into the room or you, you know, if you're doing over Zoom or whatever, you wait for the cues here and there to see if they're ready. But then if they, if everything points to, as you're saying, yep, I want to go here, we have to usually invite the person, is this what you want to do? Are you comfortable doing that? And if they say, well, I ain't going back, I ain't going back to my childhood. You go, okay, that's fine. Let's just see where your mind wants you to go. I don't know where it's going to go. You probably don't know where it's going to go. Let's just see where it wants to take you. And when you're able to relax a person, and I explain that some people relax deeply, lightly. Some people relax lightly, deeply, and everything else in between. But it's about giving ourselves permission to be able to let go. But when I say let go, the person that's in that hypnotic trance is actually more in control than they ever are. They're not asleep. They're not out. They're not under. They're simply relaxed. So we're after their body to relax and then relax their mind. So it goes in two stages. First, we relax the body, then 
we relax the mind. It's only when we've got that dual relaxation and the person feels comfortable, safe, that's when they're able to allow their mind to go where their mind wants to go. We can say to a person to go here or go there, but we don't know if their mind is going to allow them to go here or there. We're not sure. And then often people will open their eyes and go, whoa, there was weird things going on behind my, behind my eyes. Actually, when you said this, I went there instead. It's like, great. And did that work for you? Oh, my goodness, the things that came up. We also make sure that we disassociate the person from the event that they may be wanting to address. So we may have them up high looking down at it. We may have them standing back from it. We may have them looking at themselves in a third, third person. We don't, well, I don't, and, and any trained clinical therapist would never put the person back in it because that is traumatic. We don't want to go back there again. Oh, so you don't, yeah, you mentioned that. So you don't want them to relive that again. No, never. Why? Because it's traumatic for them. Okay. It's traumatic and we don't want to create a trauma. But what we do, if the person feels comfortable and if we do like a timeline or whatever, like I mentioned before, we will say, okay, depending on the issue, of course, maybe let's go back to that time when you were three month old baby or that four-year-old little girl or six-year-old little boy in that instance. And I want you to look at it and do, you know, and, and it's only a very light, we call a light trans state it, where we do things like this, deep trans state that we use for things like weight loss and quit smoking and stopping gambling and, and alcohol. And they all talk to us in, in a very, you know, sort of gentle way they'll respond. And are you looking down? How do you feel? I feel good. Do you want to, do you want to float down into that event to see how you feel now? And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Mostly they do. They want to be convinced within their own unconscious mind that this is okay now. So they go down. And I had a lady not too long ago. She had some childhood abuse issues. She said that she was sitting when she eventually went back. She thought it happened when she was 32. I know, I know when this all happened with the domestic. I was 32. I said, okay, really? Let's see. So we relaxed her down and she went back. Yep, she was 32 because she was in her 50s at this stage. Then I said, and any time before that, and she went back, oh, oh, I'm 21. Any time before that, and she went back 12, all the way back to, I think she was four. And any time before that, no, four. Where were you? I'm sitting on my front porch at home and describe it for because she was a very visual person. You pick up the cues of people like yourself, quite a visual person. And she's saying, everything's gray and, and I'm sitting there, I'm in a, in a dress that's like, looks gray and I can hear mummy and daddy fighting again and, and then daddy leaved and he just looked at me and said, I'm done, I'm out of here. And he walked away, got in the car and drove off and I didn't see daddy ever again. He'd gone and that was the trauma that it started when she was age. So we did the therapy. And I said, can you see yourself looking down at this child? Yeah, kid. Do you want to go down into that child? Yes. So she went down. I said, what do you feel? What do you hear? What do you see? And she said, oh, my goodness, the color. She said, I'm in a, I'm in a yellow daisy dress and, and the grass is green and the sky is blue and I can see clouds and I can hear birds and, and I hear and see daddy coming out and he's sort of over there, but 
it's like he's further away now. And I see him drive off, but I'm, I'm feeling okay. And mummy was crying. So I went inside and I gave her a cuddle. I told her I love her. She said, oh my goodness, I feel everything's bright. Mm. Everything's good. And, and then I, you do what you do. You know, you say, you, you bring that all the way back to today through every event that they've gone through and so on. And she opened her eyes and said, oh my God, it's gone. That, that feeling, that heaviness that I felt. And that's the biggest thing you hear from people. The heaviness that I felt. It's no longer there. It's, it's gone. Yeah, that's right. It has. Is it going to come back? No. Well, unless you wanted to. Oh God, I don't want it to. And no, it's gone. And within one or two sessions, people that carry this baggage with them and let it go. Right. It's gone. And you see it in the person. You see it when they walk in or when they're on Zoom and they're a bit hunched over and their head is low and their, their facial expressions are different. And at the end of the session, they're smiling. They're bright. And I had one young girl not too long ago. She was 16 and terrible, terrible traumatic life. At the end of the session, she sat there and she smiled and she put her two hands up to her face. And she kept doing, I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm smiling. She said, I haven't felt my faith. I haven't felt my face. And she sort of felt for the first time that she'd smile. Oh, my goodness, your heart melts. And you get so excited for them. And she leapt with a grin. And I got a call from her carer. She was under domestic violence and she was protected from, from the family. You know, she'd been put into foster care protected. And her carer rang me and she said, oh, my God, I can't believe. She, she never really spoke and she didn't stop. Although she said, I've got three other clients. Can you see them? You know, and it's like, okay, over the next few weeks I can do that. But it's just the change in one or two sessions that these kids, these people can feel because you give them an opportunity to feel differently. And they love that feeling of different. Well, you have a very nice energy about you. So I'm sure that it's easy for people to let go and feel safe. You know, like what, how does somebody... Okay, well, let's let's transition into say somebody wants to learn this because I'm fascinated. I I've wanted to learn this for a while. You know, the more okay. back in the day I had thought about it, but I never considered myself like, oh well, I would actually help facilitate it. Now I'm at the point where you know I, I'm fascinated with breath work. I'm fascinated with mm-hmm. these healing modalities, meditations, and I've been thinking. I, I I think wow, I would love to learn that, and that's why I was so excited to have you on because. Mm-hmm. I think it's so powerful, but I guess where I was going with this question first is how does somebody, what do they need to do to, to be able to create that safety so that somebody does feel safe? Like you have a nice energy, like how does somebody, how does somebody have that for somebody or does that come with time? Because it's, it's, we get into this, just as you were explaining, we get into this field because of the, the person and personality that we are, and sometimes because of the experiences that we've also had and come through. And a lot of this, that a lot of people that we train in the Australian Therapy College come through and we ask them their stories. And many of them have gone through traumatic issues, or they may be a, already a, a therapist because they've gone through traumatic issues. And they've come through the other side and they're feeling stronger. They're feeling empowered and they want 
to pass that on to others. We don't need to feel that way anymore. You can feel differently and better. And we have that, I think most of us in this, in this field, and, and you'd be the same, we have the energy. We have that feeling and genuineness. Now, I have worked with some therapists that are not in it for the right reasons. They're, they're not. And, you know, they don't usually last and the clients don't connect with them. And, you know, people feel that we have energy. We all have energy. For sure. And we don't connect. But building rapport, building safety and trust is the most important thing. There was a survey done, an American survey done a number of years ago with psych- psychiatrists. And it was to try and determine the, what the difference was with the successful psychiatrists against the less successful. And it showed that 80% was in rapport, the safety and trust. It didn't matter how good or bad the psychiatrist was. It depended on how safe the person felt and how trustworthy they felt with their psychiatrist. And that made the difference. And we as therapists, we know that already, but it was nice to validate it. So we spend a lot of time in, in our college training people how to develop rapport, what to listen for, how to respond in a specific way, how to never tell a person what they should or shouldn't be doing, what they should or shouldn't think or feel. We never, ever do that. We ask questions. We're inquisitive and curiosity, and I teach this a lot. Be curious about everything. And I say to people, even when I do my couples counselling and and stuff, and they talk about happy, love, anger, and so on, and they think they know what that means for their partner or their child. It's like, I'll guarantee you don't. I said, can you pick it up and put it into a basket? And they look at you and you go, if I said loaf of bread or cheer, you know, you can pick that up, put it in a basket. But if I say love, anger, stress, anxiety, you can't pick it up. You can't put it in a basket. So you actually do not know what it is to them. You know what it is to you. But you can't put your feeling and understanding on them. And because in many cases, it is very different, very different indeed. And when I've asked various people questions about that and what it means to them, the responses you get are, are often very interesting. It's like, wow, I, I never really attached that meaning to that word like you do when you, you think that internally for yourself. So then you, you become curious to find out what that person feels, how they feel and the reason they feel that way, and then you start the work with the person. But if you don't do it that way, then, you know, it's, it's hit and miss. Wow, that's so fascinating. So if you do want to do the training, I mean, go – Make sure that you find a college that is registered yeah. with your, whether it be the Canadian Hypnotherapy Association or Psychotherapy Association, they need to be registered. And that means that their curriculum is, is being critiqued. It's being accepted, approved. There's so many little colleges and organizations out there that, oh, well, I learned hypnosis and now I'm going to teach it. Oh, no, no. And we, we get... We get a number of people from other colleges or they've done their certificate course or whatever, and they come in and we've got to undo the learnings, the mislearnings that they've experienced to teach in the right way, so to speak. And we pride ourselves on, on being able to do that. And, you know, sort of, it's so great when you're 
when your students go and they're all so successful and busy, you know, and they, they don't go in for the money. They don't say, oh, well, you know, I'm coming in because I can earn $200 an hour. They don't come in for that reason. They come in because they want to make changes in people's lives. They want to empower people to, for them to know that they don't have to keep carrying this burden, this issue anymore. They just don't. And that's what drives us. And that's where the passion comes from. And I think that becomes a little infectious. Yeah. So there's, you know, people listening from all over the world and let's say they're interested in learning about your system, your program. Can somebody in Canada get certified in Australia and it still be okay worldwide? Or how does that work? Because I'm sure people are interested in, in this and wanting to find a credible source. Like, how does that work? You, you, you can. We, we train people usually more in our time zone, our Philippines, Indonesia, New Zealand, we, we, all through Australia, of course, and, and the Asian countries. Countries on the other side of the world, England, we have had someone from England do it because he was a shift worker, so it was really good. He was used to it. Yep. And so he would tune in, so we run either live or on Zoom. But you need to find out from your own association, if I do this particular course, can I be registered here? Some countries here, absolutely, because Australia does have a high training standard or you know, if we, if you're registered without hypnotherapy council of Australia, only nine colleges in Australia actually are registered, but contact your own association, your own country, find out which colleges are recognized and registered with the association, the main association, usually the, the, the federal sort of association, not the state necessarily, because some states don't have as high a standard as other states. So like we say, the Hypnotherapy Council of Australia or the Australian Hypnotherapy Association, check with them and only go with a college that's on the recognised list. Mm. So I would suggest anyone that wants to do it in America, Canada, England, wherever you are residing, start there first. Do your due diligence. Right. You can't just go in blind as unfortunately too many people do. And I'll say, oh, I paid $10,000 for this this NLP course or this time therapy course or whatever, and it was cool and it taught me this, but I can't do this and I'm not registered and I can't get recognised with the associations. And, and it's like, okay, well, you need to do a registered, recognised course. And I'm right. sorry, but you're going to have to do it again, you know. So people can find some very good colleges, I'm sure, all around the world in their time zone. And if, if people, you know, have issues with baggage and with anxiety and want to quit smoking, then they can easily find a good therapist. Hopefully, I shouldn't say easily. That was a mistake. They should be able to find a good therapist, yeah. ask from people. But with our time so poor these days, it's, yeah. it's hard, which is where virtual hypnotherapy is so successful for people. People yeah. download the sessions all the time to help them you know, lose their weight, quit smoking, stop drinking, get over the phobia of flying. That's a big one at the moment now that the world is opening back up. It's like, okay, I was never able to do that. Now I've been shut down. Now I want to get out. Even if I hadn't before, now I want to. So they can address that in a session through virtual therapy and they get to keep the session forever. So they can listen to it as many times as they want and they don't have to pay any money. So we're very mindful on on things like that. And, and hypnosis is great because... You don't have to keep going back time after time after time. That's the beauty of it. 
like normal, what we refer to as talk therapies. It often takes a lot longer. Yeah. But hypnosis is fast and it's forever. You know, one thing I love about that response is that you're not like, everybody just come to me, come to me. You're like giving an honest answer. I, I really, I really appreciate that because, you know, that's important because a lot of people would, would not answer that like such an honest way. And I, I, I really appreciate that because you're right. There's a lot of different people need to do the due diligence, right. And just kind of figure out what's best for them. And, and I've loved the idea of what you've done virtually because even, I mean, it's, a, it's a great scalable model too, for a great business, right? If you're, if you're in it and, you know, especially now I wanted to talk to you about during these times, like how, how grateful were you that you had started that during such a difficult time when people needed it? Because to be able to be in person or not is great, but to have something that you can record and that you can do for people that can, they can have it at any time. Like what a gift and why, what, even for, you know, an entrepreneur that wants to get into the healing work, it's so great to have a scalable option like that. Yes, it's, it, it does work well. I do. I, I usually suggest to students, if they asked about doing online, I'll say, please do not do anything for at least five years. Mm. You need to have worked in the industry for a long time. You need to understand how to, because we, we also work with NLP and, and like even speaking with you, and it is sometimes more difficult on Zoom, but you seem primarily a, a visual person. You put pictures yeah. to, to the way you think. Yeah. And so I would... I would work with you on a, in a visual processing construct, whereas online, we don't get that. So you need to know and have enough experience to be able to prepare your sessions, your virtual sessions, recorded sessions, taking into account the person's, what we refer to as their VAK, their visual, audio, their kinesthetic capacity and address all of those. Because if you're a visual person, for instance, you will talk and record based on your visual processing style. Whereas if you're a kinesthetics processor or an audio processor, they're not, they're going to miss the mark. So you need enough knowledge, skill, and experience to know that any sessions that you may record and put out, and there's plenty of them online. I've listened to many of them and, oh my gosh, there is some interesting ones out there, I can tell you. But unless you address the, the full processing capacity of all people, it is a real hit and miss. Mm -hmm. So the difference with the virtual hypnotherapy sessions is we've gone in and we've addressed each specific processing style within the session. So regardless of the type of processing you, you are, it's going to hit, it's going to hit. And that's the difference. So if you're looking at, at virtual sessions, then find out who the person is that's running them. Find out, Google them, go to LinkedIn, find out something about them. And if you feel comfortable and confident, yes, they, they are fully trained. Not, oh, yeah, they did a certificate course at that college. Okay, maybe not enough. But, oh, wow, and they, they come to someone like me. Oh, wow, she got a PhD. Oh, wow, she got a couple of master's degrees. Oh, wow, she's got an advanced diploma in this. Oh, wow, she's done TV, radio, talked about all of this. She's got books. Well, that means this person, hopefully, is credible. The and one. therefore, I trust in that person. They haven't done their certificate course and think, I've got a great business model now. Mm. I'm going to go forth and spread the word. Mm. So again, I come back to the due diligence. We really need to do that in everything we do, particularly when we're talking about our life. 
our experiences, our mind. That's what we need to be very, very cautious of. We are putting fear into anybody. Just do your due diligence and make sure that you, as the person, feel safe, feel comfortable, and feel that this is going to help. I know that the, I feel confident that this person is going to be able to, to help me, yeah, help myself. And that's what it's about. We, we don't fix the person. We know that no one's broken. We don't do that. We allow help. We, we provide the opportunity for people to help themselves. That, that's really what it is. It's an alternative healing method to create a subconscious change in a form of new, new responses, thoughts, attitudes, feelings, behaviors. And we, re- we help them to gently release their blocks, their fears, their inner beliefs that may not have served them very well so they can feel and think new ways, new behaviors. That's what we do. I love it. Where can everybody learn more about you and dive into your work and find, you know, your virtual hypnotherapy? Well, they can go to virtualhypnotherapy.com. You got the, that's, a per, that's a great domain. You got it. Virtual. I know. I was very, very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, go there, have a read. There's an email link. So if anyone's got a question and, and many people do, they will drop me an email. I'm not sure which session I need. I've done this. I've done that before. It hasn't worked. And you might say, okay, maybe, you know, the, the mark wasn't hit there because maybe this is what you need first. You need to perhaps unload this before you go, will it work for everybody? No, you can never say that. Does it work for the most and the majority? Yes, it does. But if people go in with, oh, well, I've got this issue. Oh, I'm just going to see if this will work for me. It probably won't. You know, you've got a legitimately as person want it to work for the right reasons. Like we've even put in the last couple of years a wealth, generating wealth. And it's not what a lot of people think. What most of us do is we stab self-sabotage ourselves unconsciously when we want to develop a business, when we want to develop wealth. We think, okay, I want to win the lotto numbers. Well, no, that's not what you want. But we've been raised, many of us, by parents that you, know, you work hard, you save your money, and you put some away for retirement, and that's life. No, not necessarily. I mean, yes, no. And we, we have the feeling that if we have money, we become arrogant. If we have money, well, we get a big head and we think we're better than everyone else. Or if we have money, we can give more to charity. We free up our time. We have time with our family and friends. We can volunteer. That's the joy of being wealthy, of having money. And wealth isn't just money. Wealth is feeling empowered. So our wealth generation, which has gone so well, it takes away the limitations that we were, many of us were born with from our parents. And, and it was embedded into us that, no, no, to, to earn any money, you've got to work hard. You've got to save it all up. You've got to withdraw or withhold things from yourself. And if you travel and you spend it on this car, you're not going to have money to buy a house. You're not going to have money to do this. All we're getting from our parents, bless their hearts because they meant well, are very limiting. Very limiting. My, my daughter, she has a disability and it is a disability that, that prevents her from doing things. She's only got use of one arm. It was a, a birth incident. 
And she would say to me, Mummy, I want to be a nurse. And I'd say, that's lovely, sweetheart, knowing that she probably wouldn't be able to. I said, but why a nurse? Why don't you want to be a doctor? And this is going back nearly 40 years, you know, and she's saying, oh, could I be a doctor? I said, well, I don't know. See if you can. So I wouldn't just say, okay, be that. And nursing is great. Don't get me wrong. My daughter was, she couldn't do nursing. I knew that. If she could, it'd be like, great, do that. But I thought she had a better shot at becoming a doctor and, uh, you know, not a surgeon. She couldn't do that either. But to various things like that. So we need to set the bar not too high, but we need to set the bar for us. And my idea with her wasn't be a doctor because that's better than a nurse. It was to be the best you can be. Mm. Be the absolute best you can be and reward yourself. And, And we sometimes have students, it's like, oh, I feel really funny charging $195 a session. Why? You've invested a lot of time and money to become trained. Do you think people are not going to be grateful to spend that amount of money once or maybe twice to feel very different in their life? And so we, we already devalue our worth by putting our fees down. So we work on it. No, you put them up. And I get, I get connections with my, with my student graduates all the time saying, I did what you said. I raised my fee. And you were right. I got busy. Yeah, yeah. Because the more you charge, the more people think you're better. Yeah. Now, in certain instances, of For course. Sure. But the wealth, the wealth that we, the wealth value that we place on ourselves is huge. Mm. You know, and some of us have these, many of us have these amazing abilities and capacities, but we're scared. We think, oh, well, if I stay in my job, I'm getting paid every week and I put money aside, not earning enough really, but it's safe. And it's like, well, sure, do that, but you can also venture out while you're working or you're studying while you're working or cut back part-time or do anything at all that you really want to do, but something that you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about it, the universe just seems to create success if you go in for the right reasons. Yeah. Yeah, the universe, once you decide, it like aligns all the synchronicities and opportunities that just that you need right there. Once it does. Can... I mean, look, I'm not saying part of me that there's not going to be lessons to be learned along the way. For sure. Of course there are. There's hiccups, there's speed bumps. Mm-hmm. But if we can take a learning from every speed bump or hiccup that we come across, and there will be plenty yeah, of them. For sure. Why did they, what's the reason this happened? I hate why, because our mind goes everywhere. When we come to what's the reason this may have happened, we can always find one, two, or even three reasons. How can I address it? How can I how can I change it so it doesn't happen again? Or I learn from this, regardless of what experience we've had. What can I learn from it? Mm. And I was talking to a young chap the other day who was in a relationship, wasn't really working. He met someone else, you know, great, this is a, you know, oh, this is wonderful. This is, I've never felt this in love before, left that relationship, went into the new one, didn't work. And I said, so where are you now? He said, I'm not sad that I left that relationship because I realized that I wasn't really in love. But I said, but what did you learn about you? Because he was struggling with the loss of that relationship. Mm. And he said, I learned how to communicate differently. I learned more about myself than I ever realized. 
And I and we talked about that. And I said, great. So maybe that new relationship came along at a time that you needed those learnings for you to go forward and perhaps meet somebody new with all of those learnings in place. So this time it will be real and it will last. And he left feeling, you know what? Rather than coming in feeling like, oh, poor me, I've lost this love. He left feeling empowered and stronger. You know what? I have learned so much. I'm so glad I met that person. And I learned so much from that relationship. I'm sorry it didn't work out, but maybe it was never meant to. But now I'm going to go forward and find something more permanent and better meant for me. And that's the way it works. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on and coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. It was lovely speaking with you, Lance. And as I say, you're a very visual person. Thank you so much for having me. And I truly hope your your world of listeners have learned something about perhaps themselves and how they can get the support and and recover and empower themselves to be a better version of who they were always meant to be. Love it. Thanks, everybody. Let us know what you think about the episode. If you got value from this, share it with somebody that needs it. And also, you know, I'm always grateful to see reviews. If you feel called to do so, leave us a review on whatever platform you can, whether it's Spotify, Apple, CastBox. I don't know a lot of the platforms if you can do reviews, but it always helps to see that there's value coming. And of course, if you do want to support the work that we do here at University of Adversity, Please purchase my book, Mastering Adversity. I'd greatly appreciate it. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and it's been getting a lot of great feedback. People keep telling me that they read it and that they started to cry. And not that that was the intention, but it just means that it hits hard and it's just, it's really raw and authentic. So if you want to learn about everything that I've been through in my life um, and, and all the knowledge that I've accumulated through this podcast, go grab that book. And when you're grabbing it, it's going into supporting this show. All right. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to YouTube. I love you guys. Appreciate you. We'll catch you next time.